Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today's episode is very, very significant because I interviewed my parents, allowing them to tell their story of healing and really what happened for our family as I was growing up, as they became Christians, and also the areas where they could have done some things better. And we talked about what happened later on when I discovered sexual abuse in my story and how we were all able to process that. You're going to get some tips, especially if you're a parent, on how you can create space for healing in your family. And for those of you who are wondering how can you heal with your parents, I'm going to address that in an episode next week. I took a long time to decide whether I wanted to do this episode. I wasn't sure if I would want to publish it. What you're seeing here is edited. It is not the raw version. It's a version that I hope will be helpful, that will be encouraging. Know that it's a lot messier in real life than it is on a polished, published podcast episode. Yet I hope that you will still find encouragement and maybe even an invitation to seek God about what he might want to do in your family. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Husband Material. Today is a very special day because I am welcoming my parents to the show, Yvonne and Sandy Boa. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. Awesome. Um, for those of you who don't know, I would not be here without my parents and husband material would not exist. They have supported me every step of the way in my journey at times when I would have had to give up and go get another job and go do something else with my life. My parents believed in this ministry more than I did even before it existed. So thank you so much for making all this possible. God's work, man. You, you just, we, we knew he was doing a work in you. We just wanted to be supportive of that. Time and money well spent. So what do people need to know about Yvonne and Sandy? Okay. I guess we're going to start with my faith, my conversion. I grew up in a house of parents who did the um, <clears throat> Christmas, Easter, and sprinkled a few Sundays throughout the year going to church, but never opened a Bible in front of me and uh, never talked about Jesus. So I grew up trying to be a good girl, you know, the religious thing before I received Christ. I did not know my religion was a relationship and that I needed a savior. I knew I needed God, but I didn't know how to reconcile the bridge. You know, I didn't know what my bridge was and, and God introduced me to his son. So it took about seven years of, of him, me getting to know God. And um, so I, I would say that raising you I partially raised you without actually being a follower of Christ. So I made mistakes that as a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit living in me now, I probably wouldn't have done back then. But um, God's timing is God's timing. And I know that his providence led me to every, every person along the way from 
starving for God in Mexico to receiving uh, Christ in Flower Mound, Texas, when I was surrounded by people who actually spoke and lived Christ. And that's when the true healing began and the true understanding of grace. You know, I think somebody said it's like cheap grace before the cost of Christ's blood hadn't really hit my heart. And so that's my story there. And now something you can't contain. It's something you want to share with everybody because there's so much healing power in his word and so much comfort knowing I'm never alone. Yeah. And he's the love of my life. So I was, what, 10 years old when we moved to Flower Mound? It was, it was 2001. So you were nine, nine years old. Yeah, nine years old. So I was nine years old when you became a Christian and told me about Jesus and I decided to get baptized too. And then dad followed soon after. Yes. So let me rewind just a little bit. I, uh, I was born in Canada, Toronto, grew up there, uh, moved to the U.S. later in life. I just retired from a career in commercial and corporate banking and uh, now, now retired. Looking back, uh, I went to church with my family for, for many years, you know, at a young age. It, it never really stuck with me. I had great parents, but they, they didn't really understand the full experience of, of being a Christ follower, being saved. And so I grew up through my teenage years and college years thinking church and the Bible is for weak people. I'm strong, so I don't need that. So Yvonne and I met in Atlanta in, in the late 80s and early 90s. Got married in 89. So later, um, Yvonne started to pursue God. Uh, this is five years after we got married. I, I didn't. It was interesting to watch her experience. And she would talk to me about it a little bit. And, and I didn't really have an interest. We moved from Puerto Rico to Mexico. And then we moved back to Dallas in 01. And we started to go to Fellowship Church. And Fellowship Church had a completely different vibe. Cool, hip, pastor, rock music, great Christian music, and and a whole different atmosphere and, and ambiance. And the pastor, Ed, talked a lot about building a personal relationship with God, which resonated with me even though I didn't have one, but it, it made sense to me. And then in August of 06, I actually got baptized together with Lauren at Fellowship Church. That's my sister. And, and, and I, I think that's the moment that I really you know, gave my heart to Jesus and uh, prayed for, for salvation, recognizing that, you know, Jesus was the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins, rose in three days, and, and he's our salvation. So over time, I uh, really grew on my, my walk with God in, in my studying the Bible, my time spent serving serving others. And so that's, that's kind of where, where we are today. So when I was born, nobody in our family was a Christian. By the time I became a teenager, everybody was. And this really made a tremendous difference in our family. How would you describe the before and after? 
I was telling you to be a good boy and don't do this and don't do that because I hadn't, I was still pursuing, I was pursuing God, but as a good girl, I was still trying to be, do the good things, right? Because God owes me at the end of the end of my life. But I think the change for you as a teenager would be that I decided to follow Christ. And I was telling you, if I would, if I would tell you something, it would be for the benefit of your relationship with Christ and not just to be a good boy. Yeah. That was a big difference. Grace made an amazing difference for me. And dad, you really changed too. I remember even members of our family would say something's different about Sandy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think before accepting Christ, I was very self-centered, focused on my own success and, and driven and family was secondary. And then afterwards, you know, I tried to well, I just became more patient. I, I I spent less time on work and more time with family, and I just you know in, in, enjoyed family more. and And I think one of my biggest problems was self pride, and I tried to transition from self pride to being proud of others. And he was right. You were right. You lived for your work. And I called him out on it one time. I said, work's number one for you. And that was, wow, we were in Puerto Rico at that time. So yeah, you definitely weren't pursuing God at that time. But you were right. definitely on a, and he was on a, he was on a good track with the job, right? But family was, was not it. As we talk about our family's conversion story, I want to be sensitive to the fact that it's not like we were all absolutely horrible before that, and it's not like we were all absolutely perfect afterwards, yet there was growth and there was transformation. There there was good, and there were things that could be better. So as you look back on Raising Me, what are some things that you feel you did well? One, one of my pivotal moments, and this is, you know, as our family is, I think we're receptive to hearing things that hurt. But also because of our faith, I distinctly remember the Holy Spirit working on my one time, on me one time, and saying, you know, you need to ask Drew for forgiveness for his ADHD and how you treated it. Because I was ignorant of that. I didn't pursue that with God in prayer. It was just some this is a medical diagnosis. You're gonna give him a pill. But when I came to you and I said, Drew, please forgive me for how I acted with your um ADHD. You turned around and in tears received that forgiveness. And right then and there, I was like, man, that's that's so the Holy Spirit, because I that just didn't come out of the blue. And that was a deep hurt of yours. That made such a huge difference for me. And I didn't even ask for it. You, no. you brought that to me spontaneously, like the Holy Spirit put that on your heart. And it was such a burden lifted to hear you say that. And I've been continually learning more about how that affected me and also, you know, how God relates to me as well in those ADHD patterns. That's one of the things I've appreciated the most is how teachable you both are. As adults, some people think that adults become set in their ways and they often do, but both your 
conversion to Christianity and continued openness to grow and make changes and heal has been one of my favorite things. Yeah. And it's made me very receptive to feedback too and and made me be more motivated to take ownership when I need to ask someone else for forgiveness. So we are not a perfect family, yet we are a teachable family. (laughs) (laughs) Dad, what are some things you think you did well? Well, I think in terms of, you know, spending time with you and Lauren, we did lots of sports. We did lots of family trips um, that were great. You and I spent a lot of time listening to music, and that was a great sort of common ground that we, we both really loved. We, you know, you were a huge hockey fan for a while. We both had a lot of common ground there. And uh, so, so those, those are some of the things that, that, that I look back that, you know, as a parent, I, I thought went pretty well. I did not do a very good job of educating you on sex education. And I don't think I prepared you well for adolescence because I don't think I prepared you at all. And, and looking back, you know, could have done much better on that. Yeah, I agree. And that is a lot of what set the stage for my sexual struggles and the reason why we're here. I appreciate you being willing to name that even publicly. Mom, what's one thing you wish you had done differently? So I, I would tell you, <laughs> this goes along with dad, more of the the good boy part, right? Don't have sex before you get married, you know, whatever. And, and made it seem like something, you know, that's taboo for you to do. Whereas in retrospect, looking back, I should have told you to pursue the relationship with sex that God wants you to have and not the one that the culture wants you to have. And if I would have done that properly, then you would have seen that there's nothing wrong with sex as long as it's done under the authority of God. And I, I was pretty much telling you, don't, 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 without telling you why. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a big fault, huge fault. Well, I know so many guys can relate to that. And in many ways, it's something that you didn't receive either. Zippo. (laughs) And I did not have a good past when I met your dad. Yeah. And I remember you saying that one of the reasons you didn't talk very much about sex or sexuality is because you were ashamed of your own past too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember growing up and thinking, I have the best family in the world. At least that's what I told myself. And I also thought that I was the only one who struggled sexually because no one else in our family was talking about their struggles or their sexuality. And then later on, little did I know that we actually have a lot of sexual brokenness in our family that came out, um, which was really difficult. And then in 2020, I went through some leadership training and realized that I was sexually abused by my grandmother. In a way that I had never labeled before. I mean, I knew that some things happened, but I didn't realize exactly what that meant. And when I did, it was really tough for me. And I got counseling 
And our relationships changed and I became a lot more distant. She intrusively kissed me with bright pink lipstick that left a mark. And one time she even licked me. And those were the abuse memories that surfaced. It was the year 2020. So COVID was happening and we were on video calls and things changed. Mom, what was that like for you? Um, super painful, super painful. I felt like I was a disaster of a mom that I totally failed. And when, when you told me about my part in that of, uh, your association with lipstick and me trying to kiss you goodbye and you not wanting that nearness. And I would push it on you to kiss you goodbye thinking, you know, everybody hates their, their mom's lipstick, you know, because it leaves a mark or whatever, but I was not associated that you had trauma associated with it. And my forcefulness of wanting to give you a kiss goodbye was became disgusting to you. And so that got put on me. And so when I saw you look at me, I felt the disgust and it, it broke my heart like big time. So the, the instance when you, you talked about her licking your, your head, at least I saw that one time and I said, what are you doing? And I said, don't, don't do that. The other ones I didn't know about. And as a parent now, when you tell me about this, I feel totally that I was inept that. How could I not see this? How could I not protect my child, right? I was telling somebody, stranger danger doesn't mean a stranger. Sometimes it's in your family and you don't know. And that's the part that's the scariest is that it's somebody you do know. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I was, I felt, I felt horrible for a long time. And then I realized not that I can do back to change that, but moving forward, I can be more sensitive. So when I'm around you, I don't wear bright lipstick anymore. I try not to kiss you goodbye. And I try to make you feel comfortable and safe in your space. And through the years now, you've actually asked me to love you even more physically that I, it's okay to give me a hug and stuff. And so we've grown back to the right place. Yeah. At first, I wrote you a letter, let you know about where I was at and what I needed. I set some boundaries in regards to kissing and I didn't feel safe with that for a while. And it was really tough when we would get together and all of a sudden there are these boundaries. Yeah. But over time, you were so sensitive that you rebuilt trust. And now I'm a lot more comfortable giving and receiving that kind of affection. Right. And to put some perspective on it so that people think, well, because it was a kiss on the cheek. I was never kissing you on the mouth or something uh, intimate like that. I'd kiss you on the cheek goodbye. But, you know, you see these bright pink lips coming at you. <laughs> that was not a good thing. Didn't know that, right? Didn't know that. So sometimes it can be a very simple goodbye kiss that can be a trigger for somebody. And th that's what I'm learning is the triggers. I I've seen you react to somebody touching you without you knowing that you jump, you know? and ordinary people that may not be a, a trigger, but for you with your memories, it is. Yeah. So this has been a process of years. We're in 2023. Now I first discovered this and told you about it in 2020. And it's not like things changed overnight yet. I do feel like our relationship is different and it's a lot stronger. I needed to learn boundaries with you. 
And I didn't have boundaries before and I'm still learning them, but that's a, that's a big deal. I needed to number one, uh, respect you as a, a man with a family. And I'd still want to come in and fix things, <laughs> which is not, can't do that. But, you know, learning boundaries with you has created a healthy atmosphere with us. Yeah, that was another really helpful thing. Rather than assuming that I would want you to buy something for us, you would check in and ask, um, which is more of an adult style of relating rather than the parent-child dynamic that used to be the way things were. So for the listener... Drew had holes in his socks and an Amazon box arrived the next day with socks. You just don't do that, Yvonne. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm not a little boy anymore. I know. It's amazing. So that was our journey starting in 2020. I went on kind of a different journey with dad. And it started out by inviting you on a few long hikes and asking you questions about your childhood and your relationship with your dad. What was that like for you? Well, it, it was, I think two things come to mind. First, it, it felt like you were honoring me by going deeper in, in history and asking me a lot of stuff about, you know, my family, my mom and my dad and, and me growing up and all those experiences that, you know, you, you wouldn't have known the level of detail that we, we talked about. So so I thought that that was somehow uh, a way that you were honoring me by going deeper in, into my, you know, my history and what, you know, what experiences I had, you know, much younger before, you know, you were ever born before I was ever married and so forth. Right. I wanted to know about your sexual development and what life was like for you as a teenager. And it was through that conversation that you also apologized for, in your words, I did a lousy job of telling you about sex. Yeah, that was an obvious shortcoming that became obvious to me at that point during that conversation and in some of these other conversations. And I remember when you said that, I started weeping and gave you such a big hug. And I remember also when mom said, I'm sorry, for the first time after hearing more about what happened with my grandmother, I did the same thing uh, because hearing those words meant so much. There was another time when we were all together and I was in a crisis trying to decide whether I can continue doing husband material, not knowing if it's going to make money for our family. This was in the very early stages. And I was a stay-at-home dad at the time. Rebecca was working and providing for our family. And I was feeling a lot of pressure because I felt like everybody in our family was so successful in their careers. And everybody was so financially well off. And I was telling you all that I was really feeling insecure about that. And I asked you, dad, I asked you, what if I'm a stay-at-home dad for the rest of my life? What if that's the only thing I do? And I'll never forget you said, then I would want to be one of your kids. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. 
that was the most obvious thing and the first thing that hopped into my mind because you know you, you have so many talents you have so many gifts and and if for whatever reason god pointed you not to be leading the, the ministry and the husband material work that you do that if he led you to be a, a dad first then biggest beneficiary of that would be your kids so I'd want, wouldn't I want to be one? Of course I would. That that'd be the best dad ever. It took so much pressure off when I heard that. And I remember, um, mom, you also adjusted the way that you affirmed me after that. Mm -hmm. Instead of just saying, Drew, I'm so proud of your work. I'm so proud of what God's doing through you. You would also say, and I love you separate from that. Mm -hmm. Had to learn how to separate those two. Mom, I really appreciate how you discipled me and made it clear that Jesus is the most important person in my life and his love is primary, more important than any girlfriend, more important than any job, more important than even what I think of myself. And that has really shaped me. That's the biggest job. I think, uh, uh, you know, God's gifted me with a beautiful son and he's just asked me to raise him to know him. So that's just me following, you know, what God's asked me to do. And there's no greater gift I can give you than, you know, lead you to him. And dad, I don't know if everybody knows this, but at the end of every episode, I always say, always remember you are God's beloved son in you. He is well-pleased. And that's something that I felt from you, especially as I got older. It's a very cool role reversal where I'm learning so much from you. And and that's that that's just an incredible feeling. That's that's a that's a gift from God. And that, in my view, is what has led to the most healing for us as a family mm -hmm. is taking that posture of a learner, being willing to be humble rather than being defensive or closed off. What advice do you have for any parents who are listening? Talking about issues is is really important. So all families have problems. All families have um, difficulties. And if you bury them, you grow apart. And if you get them on the table and and solve them, and it's exactly what Yvonne and, and what you said earlier, you get them on the table, you talk about them, you know, openly, then you can heal from that and, and you can you can grow from that. One of my favorite phrases, whether it's in work or in life or in, in, in Bible study is, you know, good things happen when people talk. And that's what I would recommend when you've got problems, you got to you got to talk about them. No matter how deep the scars, because. Truly, without it, you're not you're not having a relationship with that person. Then you're not living, you know. And I think if you want to grow and 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 you expect more from that person, then I think you got to make yourself vulnerable to whatever it takes to get there. You know, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And and I thought, wow, you know, I am a failure as a mom and a disaster. And and then through time you know, I realized I'm fallible <laughs> because I grew up thinking I had to be the perfect little girl, right? I had to be the perfect mom. 
that's that's heavy but there's there's as much as you hate to hear it as a mother i'm glad i did because it put our relationship on the right course and i would never want to be on the wrong course the rest of my life just to make things easy yeah only got through this because of jesus and the holy spirit guiding me telling me move receive this instruction and correction because it's not natural to us to to do any of this and some parents might not be as receptive some parents might not be able to hear the hard stuff so we also need to pay attention to that holy spirit about whether or not it's safe or whether or not it's wise to bring something up and i think being sensitive to the other person right we love you drew and you know for me the growth has been having boundaries with you which a lot of people think are restrictive but it was freeing at the same time yeah. it's freeing for me and it's been great for you i hope yeah. <laughs> and on the other side i think some of the growth for dad has been letting down walls and letting down barriers so that i can get to know you better yeah that's made, made me fall in love with your dad more and more and more is i've seen his relationship and trust in god grow and the walls come down i love that Mom and dad, what's your favorite thing about husband material? I think your approach, because you absolutely want to take the power away from Satan, the shame, and you want to just like blast through it with as much light as you can. And I see you do that without fear. You're like, you know, and the, these guys are all very vulnerable to each other and to you by expressing this. But the freedom I see in them and the joy in their eyes when I look at their testimonies, I'm like, if people only knew, when you release this, these entanglements, there's so much freedom and joy and hope and and you 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 uh, your light just pierces the darkness, gives people hope. Thank you, Mom. So mine's different, and it's without a doubt. Hands down, my favorite thing is to see the impact that husband material has. And, you know, I can look at your website and I can see your materials and I can listen to you talking about it. But, you know, when we were at your retreat and I'm talking to those guys uh, throughout the course of the weekend and I see how much they are drawn to you to learn from you and the impact that you've had on them. And then, you know, you shared with us some of the emails and stories and how it changed their lives and so forth. You know, that's my favorite part of, of husband material, seeing, seeing that impact. Not just their lives change, but their families' lives. Yeah, there's such a big ripple effect. When one person heals, it can actually be quite disruptive, as we found in our family in 2020. And yet there's a ripple effect of healing on marriages, on families, on future generations. And so much of my journey started with you. So thank you. You've helped us grow too. So thank you. Gentlemen, hope you're able to join me in praising God for this story of healing. That's still unfolding. It's not complete and that you'll find some encouragement for your story whatever that looks like for you with your family. 
always remember, you are God's beloved son and you, he is well pleased. Mm -hmm.